Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we have got a whole lot to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 82. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films as we take a close look at the Eagles' loss to the Seattle Seahawks and what Greg and I saw from the tape on both sides of the ball before we look ahead to Monday night football against the Green Bay Packers. Next up, we've got Scouting Report, where I want to talk about a player that's already turned into one of the top performers on this Green Bay defense in his rookie season. It's a player that the Eagles will have to account for on Monday night. I'll explain who that is in our Scouting Report segment, and we have got a ton to get into. Let's not waste any time. Greg and I talk Eagles Seahawks before we get into everything you need to know about Monday night's matchup against the Packers. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, it is week 12 of the NFL season. The Eagles coming off a tough loss against Seattle, coming out, coming back from out in the Pacific Northwest, come back here for Monday Night Football. But before we get to that matchup against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, first, real quick, when I collect our thoughts, it was 24 hours ago that you and I sat uh, about 100 feet away from here in the other studio, in Studio A here at the Novacare Complex, and watched the Eagles lose to Seattle. I guess walking away from the game last night, you know, and after what you saw uh, from the Eagles going up against, against the Seahawks, what were your initial takeaways after watching the game live? I had mixed feelings because part of me felt like the Seahawks won a methodical game in which they pretty much controlled it. Yep. But another part of me felt that the Eagles played very well in the first half, were right in the game, and if it weren't for a few mistakes of their own doing, not of Seattle's doing, of their own doing, that they would have had a chance to sneak away with a, a victory in maybe one of the toughest stadiums in the NFL to play. So I, I really had mixed feelings seeing the game live. Yeah, it was it was strange. And you you and I, we watched the game together, and the, the first really the self-inflicted wound, you, you know, you want to throw that term around, is uh, really kind of happened. It was, the, it was third and long. First of all, it was a long drive. Remember, this was a drive yep. that uh, they, the Eagles had second and 20 with Seattle way backed up on their own end. They end up giving up 18 yards on second down. They convert. There was another play where they converted on a long down. So they already had a couple big conversions. Now it's third and 15-plus, just about midfield. So out of field goal range, Brandon Graham, who's been arguably the best defensive player on this team all season long, jumps offside. So it gives them a free play. Uh, It falls incomplete, but it gives them another crack at it. Yep. And that turns into the Jimmy Graham touchdown over Jalen Watkins. So you give them seven points. You're spotting a great team, an extra touchdown in their place. And then on the ensuing drive, the Eagles come back. They throw a touchdown pass 58 yards to, uh, to Zach Ertz on a screen. So perfectly well designed. And they've done that kind of screen a number of times yeah. this year. Different formations, different personnel, but it's the same concept. Exactly. So you, you come back, you throw that screen, but a misalignment you know, on, the, on the other side of the field, yep. pre-snap. Which had nothing to do with the play, of yeah, course. Of course. It brings that play back. And so you're talking about a 14-point swing. Does that change the game uh, in terms of final score? 
maybe not, but in terms of where the game was at that point, instead of going into the half down 16-7, you might, you might be up. You, you might know, be up because the, the Ertz touchdown would have put them ahead. Right. 14-13, as I recall Correct. at the time. Yes. So at that point, you, because, look, you and I were talking during the game. The Eagles were running the ball just well enough. You know, who knows how many yards they would have had if the game had stayed close. But they were running the ball just well enough where they were controlling to some degree the pace and tempo of the game offensively. Yep. And, you know, defensively, they were clearly hanging in there and playing well. It, it was – that's why I said I had mixed feelings when I – when that game ended or as the game when you knew it was going to be over. I, I had mixed feelings because it, it just – in the, the second half – you started to feel like, okay, the better team's in control, but yet you felt like without the Graham play, with, without Nelson Aguilar lining up incorrectly on the Ertz touchdown, that they could have they won they this game. They could have won that game. Yeah. Yeah, no question. So, so let me ask you about that first yeah. because this is something that everybody, and I wrote about this on Monday afternoon, Everybody knows the you know the saying oh it's a game of inches you know Al Pacino any given Sunday all that right it's it comes down to the little things in the game and it's a, a saying that stands the test of time everybody says it but I feel like it is something that that's really true and the more I've been able to watch this uh, this game and really from the from the level you've been watching it now for yeah. like seven decades uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just get, trying Thank to get a, trying to get a sense <laughs> of the game. It really is true. You you look at so many games. Yeah, you know, obviously the blowouts notwithstanding. But right. when you come down to you know these seven point, ten point games, you really could pick a handful of plays that are within your control and say, hey, if the, if this play had gone right, and you hate to throw ifs out, but if this play had gone the other way, this game is completely different. Yeah, and I think that's particularly true for teams that don't have higher level talent. And I think it's fair to say that about the Eagles at this point. The other time it's true is when you don't have an explosive passing game that can eat up chunks of yards and get you back in a game quickly. And we know the Eagles don't have that right now. I believe the number is they've only got two touchdown, two touchdowns of 20-plus yards, which is the lowest in the NFL. Right. So, so when you're dealing with a roster that has some holes and when you're dealing with a passing game that doesn't really have explosive ability to it, then – Yes, then th- th- it's very difficult to come back if you're behind. So, therefore, games tend to come down. And coaches say this all the time. You never know what play it is. Yep. I mean, well, you know, when Brandon Graham jumps offside, and he's offside probably by less than a length of a football. Uh, you know, it wasn't as if he ran into the backfield. Right. Uh, and, and then the very next play, you just get out-athleted. It, it wasn't a bad ju- – no one made a mistake. Yeah. It's, 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 and it's one of those plays, like – I'm willing to give you that play. Like if you, if, if this, if, you know, Jimmy Graham out jumps Jalen Watkins and runs through a tackle. Like Jimmi Graham's an All-Pro tight end. You know, right. That, those he, kinds. He's of a plays better athlete than Jalen Watkins. He's a bigger, better athlete. And, and yes, and you're willing to live with okay. You just got out athleted. Yes. Uh, but again, you get out schemed. You tip tip of the cap to the other coaches. Hey, they they put you in a position, position. where they took advantage right. of it, and, that, and that's that's good coaching. That's game planning. Correct. But when you make mistakes of your own doing, particularly what are, are theoretically pre-snap mistakes, I mean, being offside, even though the play can, can continue, of course. Is, is really, it's, it's a before-the-snap mistake. Yeah. That kind of mistake, lining up incorrectly. And quite honestly, Phil Simms said it during the telecast, and he was very strong about it. And I guarantee that's from his Bill Parcells background. That should never happen. Right. Not once. And 
obviously it happened on a 57-yard touchdown that would have put the Eagles ahead. But, but the bottom line answer to your question is when your roster is not highly talented and when you don't have the ability to get back in a game with explosive pass plays, because let's face it, pass plays tend to be far more explosive than run plays. So if you don't have those two things, then – very often, games come down to a play here and a play there. Yeah, and just how often can you look at this Eagles schedule uh, over the, the course of their five losses and say, you know, if Ryan Matthews doesn't fumble late in the game against Detroit. Yeah, and not, not even just – not, not just does Ryan Matthews fumble, but if Jordan Matthews makes the crack block that right. doesn't allow Jason Peters <coughs> right. to miss his right. guy and he doesn't have to – that way this corner comes free and he's the one who knocks out – that corner that knocked the ball out of Ryan Matthews – or that uh, out of, knocked the ball out of Ryan Matthews' hand – he was supposed to be blocked, but he couldn't be blocked because someone else missed a block. It's the little things in the game and, in every know, play. Mental mistakes are what drive coaches crazy. And, and you know, on, on a certain level, physical mistakes, you maybe you can live with more yeah. or better. But still, you know, when Nelson Aguilar drops that wide-open crossing route with plenty of room to run, you know, you don't get against the Seattle defense. When you're playing – the defense that's been the best in the NFL for the last four years, numbers-wise, they're not quite there this year, but they're obviously a very good defense. And you get an opportunity like that, and, and Carson Wentz puts it right on his hands, those are the plays you have to make. You can't leave those plays on the field. Yeah, and like you said, especially when you've got teams that uh, – and it's interesting that you brought that up – teams that don't have the elite talent across the board right. like, like a Seattle does – um, you look at the New York Giants, and one of the things we said yesterday, right before we st- right before the game started, was, man, the, the Giants are seven and three. And you and I watch the Giants pr- almost every week. Look, they were losing. A perfect example. They were losing to Chicago sixteen nine. Obviously, they ended up winning twenty two sixteen. Yeah. But th- it's not like they ran away from Chicago. You know, it's those kinds of. The Giants are not a great team either. I think they probably have better talent than the Eagles, top to bottom. If you start comparing players, certainly on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, they're another one of those teams. They're 7-3, and three, and they don't have the feel of a 7-3 and three team. Right, exactly. It's just it's, it's a very small margin of error. You go back to that theme uh, time and time again when you talk about this game and talk about this Eagles season, uh, and it's certainly something that we will uh, try to continue you with know, moving forward. Just before we get to Green Bay, I think from a fan's perspective, I'm sure – Probably the fact that they started 3-0 and is the worst thing that could have happened to this team. Because the reality is, if you told fans before the season that after 10 games they'd be 5-5, five and five, I think most people would have said, yeah, that's about right. That'd be pretty good. Especially when Wentz was named the starter 9 or 10 days before the season started. Sure. I think a lot of people probably would have said, you know what? I probably see this team as an 8-8 eight and eight team. I, I, I'll live with that. That's okay. Yeah. Let, but, me, let, let me ask you one thing. Uh, there was an article I actually uh, told you about yesterday. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network, NFL.com, wrote a piece uh, this past week, so last week going back, and he pulled five NFL executives from around the league and said, of the quarterbacks drafted in the last two drafts, which one would you be most excited about? Three executives came back and said Carson Wentz. Two said Marcus Mariota. No votes for Jared Goff. No votes for Dak Prescott. None for Jameis Winston. They all got some second-place votes except for Jared Goff. Uh, what, were, what were your thoughts when you, when you heard that? Well, I think Wentz is the most talented. I don't think that's in question. But I got to tell you, I happened to watch Jameis Winston today on tape in Kansas City. Yeah. He was pretty good. Yeah. He was yeah. pretty good. But but I don't think there's any question to me. And you and I had this conversation when he was coming out. We had this conversation, I think, even before the Eagles made the trade to, to move up to, to number two, yep. where we knew that they would likely get him. 
I thought he was the most talented quarterback in the draft. I think he's more physically gifted than Winston. I think he's more physically gifted than Mariota. How would you rank them? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I know how much you right. love lists and how much you right, love right, ranking right. players. Right. Uh, but if you had to, you know, and obviously we have a very, very tiny, small sample size of Jared Goff, so it's not even worth no. even discussing Jared no. Goff. But I didn't equation. think Goff was that close right. to Wentz I in agree. terms of. I would have agreed with you. You know, just in terms of evaluating the skill set sure. without knowing the play. You know, again, the one thing that you and I don't get to do. Uh, you're closer to it working in this building, but the one thing that I don't get to do is to talk to players, to get to know them personally, which obviously if you work for a team, that's a major part of your due diligence. I would say Wentz is number one. Um, I, You know, I was very torn between Winston and Mariota. Yeah. Uh, because Winston has defined pocket skills. I mean, he, he is a pocket quarterback. No doubt. And he has all, all those traits that are essential to be that guy in the NFL. He's willing to turn it loose. He has a good feel for reading coverage. He may be a guy that every once in a while always makes a throw that he shouldn't make just because he's such a confident thrower and he's and he's a pocket guy. He's not Even though he has movement ability better than people think, he's really not going anywhere no. unless he has to go sure. somewhere. Absolutely. He's not leaving. Uh, pl- and plus he can throw the intermediate and downfield ball pretty well, and that to me is, is pretty important. Um, I know Dak Prescott is having a great year. We all know that. I, Because I didn't necessarily, and I'll be the first to admit, I didn't have him rated as a first-round or a second-round yeah, I mean, player. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of people didn't. Um, the NFL didn't either. No, the NFL didn't either. And I'm taking nothing away from him. But in some ways, he reminds me of Russell Wilson when he went to Seattle. He's playing with a, a, a pretty complete offense because Russell Wilson had Marshawn Lynch at the time. And, in fact, Dak Prescott has better talent overall yeah, than Russell Wilson board, did because yeah, of sure. the wide receiver position and the tight end position. So um, so I think you know Dak Prescott is in a great situation, but he's been terrific on third down, and that's on the quarterback. So you have to give him – a ton of credit, but I would not have rated him anywhere near Wentz, Winston, or Mariota coming out of college. Yeah, it's it's certainly a debate that is going to be waging on for oh. some time because obviously uh, Tony Romo has kind of ceded that position to Dak Prescott. So certainly will be a debate that we will be talking about for years to come. All right, let's let's transition out of Monday Night Football and really how this Eagles team matches up against Green Bay, a team that certainly is not on a roll right now no. and where, in terms of where they are. I think a lot of people had this game circled on the schedule, especially coming off a West Coast road trip against Seattle. Man, you're going to come home and you're going to face Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay, Monday Night Football under the lights, especially with a rookie quarterback. How are the Eagles going to do this? This is, this is going to be an interesting game. I'm really excited to see how it's going to fare. The Eagles coming off a long week after the West Coast trip. Let's start first start with – Aaron Rodgers and the offense in Green Bay because it's it's interesting because coming into the week and in terms of the study I started the study last week I kind of know what to expect schematically from this Green Bay offense we've played them a bunch of times in the last few years we see the offense the the, the same scheme with the New York Giants and, and what they do there at Ben McAdoo so and they run know, it better yeah, yeah of course they execute at a higher level than what you're seeing right now in Green Bay a lot of quick slants the quick throws they want to get the ball out quickly ideally you know, in the structure of the offense. But now when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, we'll take how he's playing right now aside, one of the best natural arm talents in the NFL and also the ability to beat you inside and outside the pocket. So 
Uh, let's first talk about a guy that is struggling right now in terms of uh, his execution of the offense. What is going on with Aaron Rodgers? What have you seen almost, you, know, you don't want to say the de-evolution, but the, the, over the course of the last 18 months, the last 24 months, what have you seen from Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback? Well, Aaron, there may be no better example than Aaron Rodgers of the difference between, let's say, watching on TV perhaps and seeing numbers and watching coaching tape. Because the numbers are there. Even last year, the numbers ended up great. I think the numbers this year, what, he has 24, 25 touchdowns, maybe only six or seven interceptions. The numbers are good. The tape is not. And what you're seeing when you watch Aaron Rodgers now, and, and taking into account everything you said, which is true, he's an unbelievable thrower, and any given play can do something phenomenal. But right now, he's playing with no sense of timing, no sense of rhythm, no sense of structure within an offense that he clearly knows very, very well because he's been in the same offense for a very long time. He drops back. There's too much head movement. There's too much feet movement. Rarely does he plan his back foot. It looks as if he's having a hard time eliminating what's not there and isolating what is there within the structure of the pass game. And it's become in vogue to say his receivers don't get open. That has not been the case the last number of weeks by any stretch of the imagination. And the other thing that has been very noticeable, and it's deteriorating almost each week now, is his past remarkable ability to make precise ball location throws with poor footwork and balance. That's not there anymore. Now those throws are inaccurate. So now you're dealing with a player that's, capable of the spectacular on any play, but those plays have become more and more random. And as you said in the past, I know we, ha- we talked about this a lot when uh, Johnny Football was coming out of Texas a yeah. when you have a random player, yeah, there's some good, but the definition of random is you don't know what you're going to get. There's going to be some bad there's in there as well. There's going to be some bad. And I think in football, when, when people speak about quarterbacks, all through the years, improvisation has always meant great. And improvisation can be great. It can be bad. It's not automatically great. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. It's it's just it's really interesting just seeing because you know I remember when I first started here, that was the kind of the, his prime. You know, he's winning Super Bowls, he's winning the MVPs. You see him come in, and he it's ridiculous. He was like a, he was like Picasso at work watching him play the quarterback position. Oh, he made and a throw in wa- that Super Bowl by the way late in the game when they beat Pittsburgh, a seam throw to Greg Jennings. I don't know if you happen to remember it. It was in the fourth quarter, maybe five or six minutes to go. Yeah, Ike Taylor was covering. Greg Jennings, and I've talked to Ike about this numerous times, and he still is pissed about it. <laughs> but literally, the ball, he said, I missed it by the length of a fingernail. He said it was, you know, it just it whipped right by me, whizzed right by me. I mean, he's capable of those throws. You just don't see those throws very often anymore. Yeah, it's it's really – it's part of it is frustrating, but it's, all, it's really interesting just to kind of watch and see how this process is unfolding. I agree with you that the, the receivers are open, and you don't want to – a lot of people are quick to blame Mike McCarthy and the scheme. Is it is, is perfect all the time? No. But you see, I mean, there's they run those little wrap concepts. Yeah. They, you know, oh, whether yeah. it's quick game or vertical game, guys are getting open. And the other thing I think, and again, you know me well enough and we've talked enough football. I don't, I don't rip coaches ever. But there's a part of me that thinks just because they're struggling a bit in the past game and now that James Starks is healthy, right. that they should go back a little more, put Rodgers under center, put Starks as the eye back where they want to do it at a one back or two back with the fullback Gripkowski and, and try to establish a little bit more of a, of a run game. Yeah. 
you know, just to settle their, their offense down. One of the things that I think is true, normally teams that are struggling a bit on offense, you don't normally regain stability and continuity by, by throwing. Normally, and we've seen this with the Eagles, normally you develop some continuity by running. And I, I think, to me, it behooves the Packers to put Rodgers under center and try to run the football. When there's a quarterback that is playing a little bit in terms of the randomness and, re- and relying on the improvisation, it's it's going to be even with the run game. It's a little bit harder for him to get into that rhythm just yep. because it's it's you know by the nature of being random and pr- improvisational, he's not going to be doing the no. same thing over and over. But you know, and again, having said that, in any given game, he's one of those players. In any given game, if you're not careful, he can make unbelievable throws. Yeah. He can move around. I mean. You know, that, that's the challenge when you – look, they're not sitting upstairs at, at, at Novacare <laughs> and saying, oh, he's out of rhythm, he's at – you know, don't worry of about course, it. They're yeah. not saying that. Yeah, no doubt. No you know, doubt. they're saying you better be damn careful that when he moves around, whether we're playing zone or man, then they'll have specific rules. You know, in zone they'll have rules, in man they'll have rules. They'll have specific rules that to make sure that when he moves around that, you know, guys just don't break free because – the thing about Rodgers, when he moves, he doesn't check it down. He throws it down the field. Yeah, we've seen that with yeah. all the Hail Marys yep. uh, and all but the But, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm, of course. not just those, but in general. In I general, mean, yes. He'll, he'll, throw a, he'll throw a laser 25, down, 25 yards down the field off movement. You can't let those happen. Yeah, and, and the offensive line especially it hasn't been up to snuff from what we've seen in the past from Green Bay, especially inside. I know that you know they have Corey Lindsley right now at center. Uh, Don Barkley played right guard to start the game yesterday against Washington. He seemed to be benched or whatever it was, an injury. Uh, he went to the bench and second-round pick Jason Spriggs stepped in at right guard. He's a tackle. So it's a, a lot of movement up front in the offensive yeah, line Yeah, well, well. I will say this, and <clears throat> again, uh, you know, Obviously, I've never taken a snap from center in an NFL game, okay? But you hear, here's what you hear a lot with Aaron Rodgers. You hear a lot, well, he doesn't trust things, you know, meaning the people who like him are trying to push the blame off him. And, okay, maybe he doesn't. I don't know what's in his head. I don't presume to know what's in his head. But he is considered, hasn't he been considered by many to be the best quarterback in football over, no you know? Question. Now, hey, you have Tom Brady, you have others, but you know Aaron Rodgers has always been in that conversation, correct? Yeah, no doubt. Okay, well, you know Tom Brady pl- has played for the last number of years with a free agent center, young players, rookies at the guard positions. You know, guys they bring in every year. You know, Thune's playing this year from North Carolina State. You know, uh, Shaq Mason's playing a good. I mean, he's. You know, no one says, "Well, gee, Tom Brady's not going to throw the ball because he doesn't trust." To that that argument to me, and I watch a lot of tape. I don't. That doesn't hold water to me based on tape study. Yeah, it's it's a lot of you don't want to say excuses, but a lot of potential reasons being thrown out there for. for and the some may the well offense. be. Look, like I said, I'm not an Aaron Rodgers head. Of course, I, you know, maybe if he was sitting here and having our conversation, joining us, he would give five reasons, and we'd say, "Oh yeah, they're all those are great reasons." Yeah, a lot of on the field and off the field uh, reasons being thrown out there yep. right now in the media, which is very interesting to follow on. Let, let, let's go to the the Green Bay defense. For those who are not aware, give us the identity of a Dom Capers defense over the course of the last few years that you've started. Dom Capers defense, he, he has been almost purely a sub-package defensive coach. And by that I mean he plays five defensive backs and six defensive backs. Rarely, rarely does he line up in what we would call base defense. And for them, that's a 3-4. Rarely 
has he lined up in base 3-4 personnel. Even when two tight ends are on the field, three tight ends, and which makes this week's game very interesting, uh, rarely does he line up in 3-4 personnel. Now watch, this week he'll decide to do that. So what is that, what do, when you see that and you see the, the Eagles obviously having the three tight ends, which are a big part right, of what they do right. in the pass game, what does that mean for you? How do they typically match up? How would you envision that going on Monday night in the passing game? Well, I think you have to look. You know, we, we have a saying on the matchup show that as the season moves along, and now we're going into week 12, you really have to look at, at the last four weeks as, as sort of your barometer. Yep. And over the last four weeks, the Packers' defense has not been very good. They've been especially bad against the pass. Now, they've had a ton of injuries, but, you know, it's the NFL. You've got to line up. There's still a game. They're going to be here in Philadelphia Monday night, and, you know, my guess is they're going to try to win. So they're going to line up, and they, got, they, have, they have to play. Yeah. So I, I just look at their defense over these last number of weeks. They struggle to rush the quarterback. You know, Clay Matthews came back this past game for the first time. Wasn't a big factor as a pass rusher at all. Ty and Zeki got, got the Let me tell you something, times. just as an aside. Yeah. That yeah. kid started two games yeah. in place of Trent Williams. He's been terrific. Uh, Bill Callahan knows how to coach. He's been terrific, but that's yeah, just an aside. Course, yeah. But but I mean, Matthews wasn't a factor as a pass rusher. Yeah. They played Dayton Jones at times as an edge rusher, and you and I both liked him coming out of college. But I, he's not an edge pass rusher. Right. But that just shows you where they are, you know, with what they have. Um, they've been getting killed in the pass game, and I think res- great receivers or not great receivers, the Eagles have to throw the ball this week. And I and I would throw it off play action. They have a tough time with play action. Um, you know, this is a week – you have to look at the nature of your opponent and the weaknesses in their defense, and this is a week to throw the football. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of young corners. You know, Demarius Randall's been hurt. He was a former first-round yep. pick. Uh, they, but they've been cycling in guys like Meech Goodson from Baylor, who's a college basketball player. Yeah, who got hurt this week yeah. and won't be playing. Yeah, Ladarius Gunter so has been the starter Quinn for them. Rollins went on the outside. Yeah, Ro- so you've got Rollins from Miami of Ohio, Ladarius Gunter from Miami and Florida. Uh, you've got Josh Hawkins. You know, Meech who hasn't Goodson, played yet. God, it's it's – it's kind of a mixed, mismatch secondary. Micah Hyde played a lot of snaps, and he got targeted a lot in this past game against Washington and, as well. And how about the touchdown to Crowder down the seam Ooh. when he just ran by Rollins like he wasn't there? First of all, great two-man beater. It was oh, very, yeah. It was perfect yeah. situation. Yeah. Great play call. But, yeah, I mean, Jameson Crowder ran right by Hyde. He's – it's interesting because Hyde coming out of Iowa was kind of like that corner safety hybrid. Started and he's more a on good player yeah. in a certain way. Sure. But if you – you know, if you have to play him a ton as your slot corner, which the Packers have to – you know, I think you it's can he can be exposed. Yeah, it's he's he comes off like a high as the guy that like if he were to be a free agent, he would sign in New England and be a Pro Bowl player. He's a lowercase <laughs> Malcolm Jenkins. Sure. In in yeah, the way he's yeah. Now, how do you feel about the Ertz Morgan Burnett matchup? Because that's the matchup yeah. when, when they're in dime and they go man a yeah, lot. Morgan Burnett's on the tight end. Yeah, they're the rookie Kentrell Bryce, Bryce comes in then, and Burnett yeah, comes down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, how do you feel about that? I I feel pretty good about that, especially yeah. the way that they've been using Ertz. The Eagles have, have really done a good job yeah. of creating situations for Zach Ertz, not just in the screen game, not just you know his X ISO, but you know down in the uh, down in the red zone. This past week, they ran a, a great concept. It wasn't for Ertz; it was a stick nod that started right. with Brent Selleck. But it was just a great situation using all three of those tight ends uh, to the passing side, to the play side of creating a situation where they can get open. So that'll, that'll be really interesting. It'll be an interesting matchup. We've seen him beat Keanu Neal. We've seen him beat Cam Chancellor. We've seen him beat Deshaun Shedd uh, in coverage and man coverage the last couple of weeks. So uh, that is certainly a matchup that will be very interesting. Linebacker is a place where they've struggled as well. 
Uh, Green, the Green Bay. Bay. Green Bay. So you've got uh, JT Thomas. You got uh, well. Jo- Thomas was only only played until two weeks ago in the dime. Yeah. And now he's playing in the nickel because uh, J- you know Jake Ryan is hurt. Yeah. So you've got Joe Thomas and you've got Blake Martinez who got hurt this week. So we don't know what his you know whether he's playing. <laughs> a lot of injuries because they brought team. in a kid called Bradford, yeah, who, as I recall from Arizona State, was an edge pass rusher. He's an edge rusher. Right. So I mean, again, he's hung around the league, so you got to give him credit. But if he has to start at inside linebacker, I, you need to target you. Like I said, when you say you have to attack in the passing game, I hope people realize I'm not suggesting you're throwing the ball in every down. Of course. But you have to attack in the pass game. Yeah. They're, that's a flaw right now, a weakness in the Packers' defense. Which, with the Eagles' backfield being banged up, uh, Doug Peterson spoke today, being Monday, uh, about you know, Ryan Matthews is kind of day-to-day. Right. Darren Sproles looks like he'll play on Monday, but with the rib injury, he's going to be banged up for sure. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the, how those matchups play Packers out. Packers have given up 12 touchdown passes in the last four games and almost 10 okay. yards per pass attempt. That is wow. an, an unheard of number. Wow. So, okay. yeah. you know, keep that in mind. And, and, and 72% completion percent against, and these are all in the last four games. Yeah. So you need, pretty good you need to throw the football. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the Eagles decide to attack. They do have uh, some pretty strong players inside, up front for them. Yes, Kenny, they do. I, I've always said that Mike Daniels is the best player on that defense. The last couple of years, I Could well that be. Way. He's a really good and, – and Kenny Clark, who you and I both love coming out of UCLA, is doing just what we thought he would do. Yeah. He's, I don't know that Kenny Clark's never going to be Fletcher Cox, but Kenny Clark, I think, is a pretty good player and will probably be a star yep. for them for a long time. I would agree with that. Yeah, so – uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be a very interesting matchup uh, Monday night, Greg, and look forward to watching it, watching it here with you at the NovaCare Complex. Appreciate the time, as always, here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We will see you Monday night and then again Tuesday, Tuesday night, night right here. Yes. Great stuff from Greg. And, again, you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. And that's one way to support the show. But the other is to go on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and leave us a comment. And I wanted to give a shout-out to Jay Bell, who left a comment recently on our Stitcher page saying how much he enjoys our Chalk Talk segment each week with Greg. So thanks to Jay Bell and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier, I wanted to profile a player that has had such a big impact on the Green Bay defense so early in his career. Time to reveal who that is in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so the player that I wanted to focus on in the podcast this week was Kenny Clark, the team's first round pick back in April, just under six foot three, 314 pounds. He started 30 games for UCLA in his three year career with the Bruins, and he ended up being the Packers' first round pick, 27th overall back in April. Now, some people saw that as a bit of a reach. I absolutely saw that as good value because I thought he was a really, really great player during his time with the Bruins. I was a big fan of his this past offseason. So if I look back at my notes, watching what I saw at UCLA, I see a lot of the same traits now here with the Green Bay Packers just 10 games into his career. You know, there with UCLA, he was their nose tackle on multiple fronts. He lined up anywhere from zero technique to two-eye technique just inside the offensive guard. And I, he lines up in a, in a lot of those same uh, techniques here with the Green Bay Packers. He's got excellent knee bend. Plays with a really strong base, great pad level. He's always square to the line of scrimmage. He's got quick hands. He's always able to keep himself clean, and his eyes are always on the football. 
He can drop his weight. He can anchor. Really just a strong run defender. He can handle double teams, hold his ground on the run game, and he can keep linebackers clean. Really works his hands well at the point of attack. He can shed blocks and find the football. Shows the ability, too, to not just hold his ground, but then also jar opponents on contact and change the line of scrimmage. I see all those same things when I watch him on tape with Green Bay. Week in and week out, he's making plays against the run. He'll two-gap, he'll one-gap. He'll do whatever you need to do. Athletically, I thought he had good initial quickness, not great, and he displayed enough change of direction and burst to be effective in the tackle box as a three-technique player. So you see that at times where him and Mike Daniels, who we talked about a little bit earlier with Greg, they kind of switch roles sometimes, and both those guys are just so disruptive for them. As a pass rusher, he's got a couple moves. You know, he'll use the bull rush. He's got the club rip move. He has a, he has a swim move that'll go to time to time, a hand swipe. Maybe, you know, so he's got some things in his toolbox, uh, and he made some pursuit plays. I thought his motor was solid. I really liked the way he competed. The number one thing I wanted to see him improve on was just his pass rush uh, skill, you know, the timing of his hands and his ability to set up offensive linemen with his hands as a pass rusher. But overall, I thought he was a really well-rounded prospect. I wrote down that I thought he could start right away, which he certainly has filled that role as a starter for Green Bay. And while he may never be an all-pro caliber talent, he might not, you know, he may never be what Fletcher Cox is here in Philadelphia. He's got the look of a longtime starter in the NFL because of his technique, his pad level, his hand use, anchor so well in the run game, and I think he's a better athlete than given credit for. So he is certainly a player that the Eagles will need to account for on Sunday, whether it's in the stretch run game, the perimeter run game, or inside, where I think that uh, you can make some yards against that linebacking core, something we talked about earlier with Greg. So thanks again to Greg Cosell and everybody out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And if you get the time, again, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Don't be afraid to leave us a question on there, too, because I'd love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. If there's ever anything specific you want me to hit on in-depth, I will absolutely take requests from all of you out there. So, again, wherever you listen, just go shoot us a comment wherever you listen to the show. All right, that being said, that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.